URC Youth Trialogue. Three people, three questions, three values. Hello and good evening and welcome to this evening's really special Trialogue episode. My name's Ruth White and I'm going to be your host for this evening. Tonight's programme is offered as part of Interfaith Week. We've got three panellists here from three faiths and they've come together to celebrate their faith and to enable greater understanding between each other. It's a chance to recognise both the similarities and the distinctiveness of our different faiths and it's an opportunity for us to learn from each other. So I'm going to invite our three panellists to introduce themselves. Jo. Hi, um, I'm Jo. I'm the URC or United Reform Church Youth Assembly Moderator Elect. Um, I'm from Wales and I study music. Thank you very much. Tasnima. Hi, I'm Tasnima. Um, I'm a Muslim. I'm studying Arabic and Islamic studies at the University of Exeter. Um, I live in Brighton. Thank you. Uh, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you, Isabel. And Isabel. I'm Isabel. I'm originally from Switzerland. I'm a reading history at graduate level at Oxford and I'm Jewish. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> thank you for being here this evening and to engage in this conversation. And we do welcome all of you who are watching um, this evening, whether it's live or whether you're watching or listening again on YouTube or any of the various podcast platforms that this will appear on. We do welcome you. We welcome you of all faiths and we welcome you of no faith. And we hope that you will be encouraged and challenged by this conversation. So if I may, let us pray before we begin. I'll just pray quickly. God, we are your children and we come together tonight as part of Interfaith Week to share with each other, to be encouraged, to celebrate and to reflect. Help us to honour each other, learn from each other and bless this time together. Amen. As part of this programme, we invite you, the listeners and watchers, to send in your comments and questions. What an opportunity this is. We have a a Jewish young lady, a Muslim young lady, and a Christian young lady in the room. Amazing opportunity to ask them any question you like, learn about their faith. Don't don't let this opportunity pass you by this evening. Send in your questions and your comments and your encouragements to them all. Uh, This is a nerve wracking evening for us all. Uh, So send in your comments, questions, and and encouragements. And you can do that on the Slido, which is Uh, On the bottom of your screen now, you can follow those links through. We look forward to including your uh, voice in the conversation tonight. So very briefly, Interfaith Week (coughs) this year started last Sunday and ends this Sunday coming on on the 15th. And the aims of Interfaith Week are to strengthen good interfaith relations at all levels, to increase the awareness of different and distinct faith communities in the UK, in particular, celebrating and building on the contribution which their members make to their communities. And finally, it's to increase (coughs) understanding between people of religious and non-religious beliefs. So without further ado, let's get started. So each of our panellists was asked to bring with them something to share from their holy text that is resonating with them at this moment in time, that is important to them in some way and perhaps to offer an explanation of why it's important to you too. So I'm gonna start with Jo. Yeah, um, so uh, the piece of text that I brought with me was from Joshua, um, and it's Joshua chapter one, verse nine. Uh, And the passage is, remember that I commanded you to be strong and brave. Don't be afraid because the Lord your God will be with you everywhere you go. So, this passage means a lot to me um, because partly because I think it really empowers me to be a really strong, courageous person and to step outside of the norm, which I think I do quite a lot. Um, 
but that really um persuades me to just do things that I maybe wouldn't normally do um and that no matter what happens during my life even if I just step off the path ever so slightly God will always be with me and they always have my back and will be like hyping me up if you will um so yeah that's why I chose that passage it's just a really important passage to me I feel it's really comforting um yeah thank you Joe. thank you Tasnima <clears throat> Um, so when I was um, asked the question of um, what, in my opinion, what's the most important passage um, in the Quran, which is the um, Islamic holy book, um, it was one of the most difficult questions I've come across. Um, but personally, um, I tried to I tried to think of ways that I could answer this in a different way. So um, when it comes to searching for the greatest passage in the Quran, um, there is one verse in particular that um, that everyone can agree with, um, that is the greatest verse. And um, this is known as Ayatul Kursi, which means the verse of the throne uh, in Arabic. And um, this is the greatest uh, uh, verse in the Quran. And it is a very unique verse um, because um, this, this, is a, this is something that the Prophet Muhammad, um, peace be upon him, he had spoken about in one of his sayings. He said that everything has its pinnacle and the pinnacle of the Quran is Surah Al-Baqarah. In it, there is a verse which is the greatest in the Quran. So Surah Al-Baqarah is the, the, the second chapter of the Quran and it's the longest one. And within this chapter exists the, this verse, the verse of the throne. And um, I will just recite that verse for you now in Arabic. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum la ta'khudhuhu sinatun wa la nawm lahu ma fis samawati wa ma fil ard man dhalladhi yashfa'u 'indahu illa bi'idnihi ya'lamu ma bayna aydihim wa ma khalfahum wa la yuhiituna bi shay'in min 'ilmihi illa bima sha'a so the English translation for that is Allah, meaning there is no God worthy of worship except him, the ever-living, all-sustaining. Neither drowsiness nor sleep overtakes him. To him belongs whatever is in the heavens and whatever is on the earth. Who could possibly intercede him without his permission? He fully knows what is ahead of them and what is behind them, but no one can grasp any of his knowledge except what he wills to reveal. His throne encompasses the heavens and the earth, and the preservation of both does not tire him, for he is the most high, the greatest. Um, essentially, Islam itself is a monotheistic religion, and Allah, also known as God, um, he is perfect, and he has the perfect attributes, and um, uh, none has the right to be worshipped except him. And um, this is just proof in itself um, that nothing can live and remain firm without his cause. This verse shows that real life and real being and real staying is only for God who has the perfect attributes. The universe does not have self-sufficiencies. He is the ultimate cause for all survivals of the universe. He is perfect um, and he has he, he is completely perfect. No one can intercede without his permission according to the Quran. One prays for his dear one for his issues or to save him from calamity it is his kind of mercy. Islam has two parts, love with Allah and love with humanity to the extent that to consider their problems as one's own problems. So the, the Prophet, peace be upon him, was the greatest intercessor as he was close to Allah and close to humanity. He cleansed all people. His prayers comforted people. To have his intercession, one should do good deeds as well. Prayers, uh, prayers of his uh, promised servant in this era are accepted as well. Um, so his power and his knowledge encompasses the, all of the universe. He never gets tired in all of these works. Weaknesses cannot be attributed to him. He is high and he is great and his station is far above all. However, this is the verse that comes into mind when we think of the greatest passage or the greatest verse in the Quran. Um, I was trying to think in this current situation in time, which passage I kind of resonate with the most um, at this moment in time. And that is Surah Yusuf, which is the chapter about Joseph, uh, the prophet Joseph, peace be upon him. 
Um, so there is a saying or um, so, some words from the, the Prophet peace be upon him about the Prophet Joseph, um, where he was asked, oh, messenger of God, who is the most honorable amongst mankind? And he said, the most honorable of them is one who is most pious of them. They said, we are not asking about this. He said, then the most honorable of men was Joseph, the Prophet of, the prophet of Allah, the son of Allah's prophet, who was the son of the Prophet of Allah, who was the son of uh, of Ibrahim. Um, so from this chat, from this passage, um, there are a few lessons that I wanted to speak about. And um, the first of those is the lesson of patience. Uh, I'm not sure if um, you're all familiar with the story of Joseph. Um, he, as a young child, um, he had gone through a lot of trials and this continued um, throughout his life and um, one one of the important lessons that we learn from his story is that of patience there is a verse in the Quran in the in this passage um, the chapter of Joseph um, which I will read for you Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim قَالَ بَلْ سَوَّلَتْ لَكُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ أَمْرًا and the translation for this is, he said, Brother, your souls have contrived something for you. Patience is a virtue, perhaps. God will bring them all back to me, and he is the knowing the wise. So these are the words of uh, Joseph's father, um, who is known as Jacob, um, in English that's known as Jacob. He, uh, you know, the, the belief is that he is also a prophet. And Yusuf, his son, was very, very beloved to him. And to the extent where his brothers became very jealous of this. And this led them to, uh, to throw their brother Yusuf into a well with the hopes that they would essentially kill him. And um, at this moment in time, um, they returned to their father with a t-shirt that had been dumped in the blood of a sheep claiming that Yusuf had been eaten by a wolf. And um, he became completely distressed by, by this and was so upset and saddened by this for, for a number of years. Um, he had been uh, he, he wouldn't be able to stop thinking about this and it caused him to become blind as a result of his uh, his sadness. And this this verse uh, is the words of Jacob, um, where he replied to them, um, saying that this is something that their souls have contrived, um, but he will still remain patient. So regardless of, you know, the sadness um, that he had been experiencing at the time, he still had faith that um, whatever is happening is the will of God and it is, is for the best and he will continue to remain patient. And um, this is something that we can all learn from, especially at times of, of agony and sorrow and hardship, um, that we should remain patient and steadfast in the face of trials. And we should try our utmost to endure and remain and to, to persevere through this. Because there is nothing that, that patience, uh, there's nothing that befalls upon a person except that it is good. And when we remain patient, um, then that will be even more beautiful. So that's why we should uh, kind of remain to trust uh, God um, as we learn from this story. Um, even Yusuf, uh, he had also suffered a series of incidents um, right after the incident of the well, where he continued to have faith in God um, at the time. And he continued to be patient as well. Um, another lesson that we learn from this story is to always return good and evil with to always return good and evil with good. And there is a verse in the same passage in relation to this um, where it says, "Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, وَرَوَدَتْهُ الَّتِي هُوَ فِي بَيْتِهَا عَن نَفْسِهِ وَغَلَّقَتِ الْأَبْوَابُ وَأَبْوَابَ وَقَالَتْ هِيَ لَكَ." And the translation for it for this is she she in in whose house he was living tried to seduce him. She shut the doors and said, I am yours. He said, God forbid, he is my Lord. He has given me a good home. Sinners never succeed. So this was at the time um when Joseph he had um so he had been he had been rescued from the well and he was working for the king at the time in Egypt. And he was generally, he was known to be a very, very beautiful man. And um, so he was so 
uh, sort of handsome that even when a, a number of women had seen him, they ended up cutting off his fingers um, at the sight of his beauty. Um, and what happened at this time was the wife of the king had invited um, uh, Yusuf and uh, attempted to seduce him, but he refused. And um, he he had faith in God, and he had a lot. He had so much fear in God that um, he completely refused and tried to repel this act with with something good. And this this is a kind of evidence for us that whatever you know situation we are in, we should always try to remain positive and. Um, always respond to situations in a good manner, um, even if it's if it's a, a blessing as well. We should always be be grateful of the blessings that we have been given from God. Um, and Islam really highlights this act of um, kind of responding to evil with good. Um, and there is a verse um, regarding this where it says that God, uh, good and evil cannot be equal. Respond to evil with what is best. Then the one you are in a feud will with will be like a close friend so there are instances uh, in the time of the prophet muhammad peace be upon him in which he would also be good to those who are evil to him evil with him um, and on one occasion the prophet he was cursed by a group of jews and he reacted with patience and forbearance his wife um she reported uh, an incident where um a group of uh, a group of jews had asked permission to visit the prophet and when they were admitted they said death be upon you um, and the way that his wife had responded was um, she said rather death and the curse of God be upon you and then the the messenger of God peace blessings be upon him he responded by saying oh Aisha the name of his wife um, God is kind and he loves kindness in all matters showing that regardless of the situation we should just always respond with kindness and the last lesson I just wanted to speak about from this passage is the importance of forgiveness and showing mercy to those who offend you and there is a verse in the same uh, chapter um, which says Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Qala la tathriba alaykum al-yawm yaghfirullahu lakum and the translation for this is, he said, there is no blame upon you today. God will forgive you. He is the most merciful of the merciful. So this was referring to the time where the brothers of Joseph had, um, they had come into contact with um, Joseph for the first time since they had attempted to kill him. And, um, and he had noticed them. And instead of responding in a way where, you know, he was kind of hostile, um, because of what they had done to him he responded by by forgiving them he said there's no blame upon you and god will forgive you because he is the most merciful so even after they had you know they they'd done they had committed the worst of acts to him he still responded with kindness and he forgave them so um so as much as we can we learn from this to to forgive the evil that people do to us and to not look at ourselves better and this will make us more honorable before god um, in the hope that we will earn his mercy. And um, there is a saying from the prophet uh, Muhammad, peace be upon him, where he said that whoever suffers an injury and forgives the person responsible, God will raise his status to a higher degree and remove uh, one of his sins. So this shows that um, it's just so important to forgive others. And through this, we can then, um, we can then achieve forgiveness from God as well himself. Um, and that, that's why this this story, this um, chapter itself is one that I feel very close to because it teaches us so many lessons. There are many more um, that I, I would have wanted to go more into depth with. But um, overall, it teaches us that the sick do recover, the missing, they do return and trials are erased and the sad, they become happy. Um, one last point I just wanted to touch upon with um, regards to this um, this point of forgiveness um, in light of recent events. Uh, regarding the images, I don't know if you might have seen in the uh, in the media um, depicting what had happened in France, where images were drawn of the the Prophet peace be upon him, Prophet Muhammad uh, in France. And I just wanted to mention uh, a few things uh, regarding the true character of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. And he was also a very forgiving person, or one of the most forgiving people. And um, he was ready to forgive his enemies. 
and there was a situation where um, he had he he went to this place called Taif in uh, which is in Saudi Arabia to preach God's message to its people, and they mistreated him. The people that were there at the time they abused him and they hit him with stones, and he left the city humiliated and wounded. When he took shelter under a tree, God's angel appeared to him and told him that God was very angry with the people of Taif at the time and sent him to destroy them because they mistreated God's beloved prophet. The prophet prayed to God to save the people of Taif because what they did was out of ignorance. And he said, oh, God, guide these people because they did not know what they were doing at the time. So when there was another incident, when he entered the city of Mecca, which is also in Saudi Arabia after um, after the victory, um, the prophet had in front of him some of his staunchest enemies. Those who fought him for many years persecuted his followers and killed many of them. Now he had full power to do whatever he wanted to punish them for their crimes. It is reported that the Prophet Muhammad, he had asked them, what do you think I shall do to you now? They expected nothing but retaliation and pleaded for mercy. And the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, today I shall say to you what uh, Joseph, the Prophet Joseph said mm -hmm. to his brothers. There is no blame upon you today. Go and you are all free. So um, this teaches us the importance of, of forgiveness and kindness to others and also at the same time, um, just love and also equality amongst all human beings. Um, so learning from, from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and the Prophet uh, Joseph and his father Jacob, um, we learn that the timeless teachings of, of the religion and how this can help communities grow in peace rather than you know, intention and hatred. Thank you. Tasnima, you've just offered us a whole buffet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're right. It is, it is an unfair question to you. I'm reflecting now on the question I've given all three of you. Please choose a holy text that it's important to you. It, it's so huge. Um, Tasnima, I just want to um, encourage you. We had a comment come in uh, during both uh, the first ones, and then I'll come to Isabel. Um, someone writes, this is really fascinating. I am a Christian and know the story well from the book of Genesis in the Bible. I had no idea that the story of Joseph was also in the Quran. So we're already learning. Yeah. And so let's move to, thank you, Tasnima. Um, let's go to Isabel. Same question to you, please. Yeah, I'm afraid I was also going to cheat a little bit and pick two phrases rather than just one, because actually one thing that I personally really appreciate about the Jewish tradition is uh, the plurality of voices that comes naturally to it and uh, sometimes contradicting, sometimes complementing, but actually both at the same time. And the two verses are, are rather short sentences. I was, I was going to uh, cite this. Is one of them comes from the Book of Hillet, which is known as Ecclesiastes in, in Latin and, and should be known as that to Christians. And it's it's very brief and very expressive. Hevelim, hevelim, hakol hevel. It's, it's known in English, I think, translated usually as the vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. You might be familiar with that. And uh, it speaks to, to one end of the Jewish tradition and it expresses it really well, which is a very metaphysical and, and, and um, philosophical one that is about description, right? Description of the world and understanding, influenced strongly by, by other philosophical traditions and trying to make us rationally understand our place in the world. It's a, it's a tradition of wisdom rather, almost more than faith, understanding, then, because what does it mean if we say that nothing has any meaning? It sounds almost defeatist. And of course, Kohelet Ecclesiastes is, is meant to have been written by, by a king, right? By a king at the end of his life who recognized that all of his, um, all of the things that he valued in life are just vanities. So on the one hand, this is evidently true to all of us, and it can be inspiring even rather than just defeatist because it helps us especially in difficult times like these to to come down and to remember that actually all these things shall pass and they don't have that much meaning but on the other hand the other phrase i'd like to say is actually not from the torah it's a, it's a kind of summary it comes from the talmud so from the wisdom literature that's written on the holy text but its message is very much expressed in the bible too and it's it's a message expressed in the multiple um, the multiple instances in the Bible in which uh, there is uh, it, it, it talks of, of loving your neighbor, and it's called Israel Arvin Zelaze. So everyone of the people uh, is for everyone else. It would be a literal translation. So it's a, it's a radical assertion of responsibility, and um, it's often cited. Actually, it's, it's it was cited by Rabbi Hillel and and 
as the, as the sort of central essential message of um, of the Torah. So, and and a reminder that um, your responsibility extends to everyone else in your people, in in those in the people who have been created in the image of God, and that you cannot shed this responsibility. And now these two things seem so fundamentally opposed in a sense because one is one is descriptive and the other is prescriptive and one is uh, one seems defeatist or, or at least um, kind of turning away from the world and the other is turning towards the world and demanding uh, and accepting of responsibility but actually they are really complementing each other because personally I find that um, it is not possible to or it, it, maybe it is possible for some but I think it is very difficult for many people to um, to just accept the positive assertion of uh, duty, of necessity, because the world is so large and so full of, of pain, of suffering, of, of, of um, things we don't comprehend that only an only prescriptive assertion that uh, would only tell us of our duties and our moral responsibilities would simply overwhelm us. Because sometimes we come to this point where we just Think and I think in, and actually in the Jewish tradition this is a point that's encouraged right it's uh, the tradition of, of also questioning your faith and, and questioning um, anything that's written and you come to the point where you just realize why why would you why would you even try to do anything good in the world when there is when you can never possibly be more than like a raindrop in the ocean but and then actually, I think in, in those points, this is where the other part of the tradition is really important. Um, the one that has over centuries inspired so, so many philosophers. And, um, the one that has an interpretation of, of, of um, God and of, of, of the divine creation that, that tries to understand that it is so foreign to us that we cannot necessarily comprehend it, but we still have to. So sometimes it can be soothing to remind ourselves that anything that exists in this world and in, as in our intellect as well and as in our bodies is just that fleeting. It is just vanity so that we don't feel overwhelmed by this great mission that's been given to us of, of uh, what, what's called in Hebrew tikkun olam, of trying to fix the world. And that's why I think these two passages complement each other rather well. And I picked them out. Thank you so much, Isabel. Um, a question came in quite early on, actually, um, saying what are the similarities between the three religions? And I think from the passages you've all three shared, we're already seeing some common ground in our, in our beliefs. Um, interesting, Isabel, to hear, if, if I heard correctly, correct me if I didn't, um, did you say that um, it's encouraged within your faith to question well at least in the tradition way. i grew up for sure yes and i think uh, we can say a, a, a great part of, of mainstream judaism is based on uh, on the concept it's, it's called machloket in hebrew it's about and for example even if you look at the uh, if you look at the talmud the tradition of torah study it is always phrased as a dialogue or a multi-party interlocution between different sages discussing uh, concepts and trying to assert who has the right interpretation, but nobody has a monopoly on the right interpretation. Thank you. Well, thank you for, for tackling that question that I posed to you then and, and bringing something to offer to get us going this evening. I posed the same question to the people watching, really. So I wonder what, what they would say and feel free to, to send it in on the, on the comments. I will do my best to read them all out. Um, what would be your most important uh, reading from holy text today for you, because we were saying earlier that, that would, we would all probably give a different answer tomorrow, um, depending on what tomorrow brings. So I'm gonna move us on to the second question, if that's okay. <clears throat> and it was, how does your faith or belief shape your daily life, including at this time of COVID, if you would like to refer to that? So I think what we'll do this time is we'll go to Isabel first, then Joe, then Tasnima. Thank you, Isabel. Well, I'll try to do brief, and I think it's just one thing that's that's really important is that um, <laughs> it's in, because you know usually when, for example, when uh, when uh, you know as, as Jews we to a certain extent everyone to their own extent I suppose keeps uh, some form of Shabbat right of of the loss of rest and uh, the day of rest, and I think actually 
it's um, for me personally, I really um, I, I don't uh, fare well with the whole digitization and all. And it's been a, it's been a great struggle for me personally that uh, with COVID, how many aspects of life have just moved uh, to digital space. And actually, I think I found it really helpful in the sense that what is usually understood as a constraint that that sort of religion puts on us to, for example, not use electronic devices on Shabbat and all. This constraint actually, I think, has um, enabled um, us to kind of find a way to still form a space for interpersonal relationships that I find that happen in person, despite uh, the current uh, circumstances. So to it has helped us to kind of assert the necessity of that. And I actually think it's a general necessity. It's just that sometimes actually the kind of conventions of religion can help you um, understand your general needs, even if you first think of them as restrictions, if that makes sense. It's, it's, it's really interesting to hear how um, you're able in your all three faiths to, to still worship and meet as a worshiping community um, during this time of COVID. I know we're all wrestling with that. So thank you for that, Isabel. Jo, same question. Um, I think personally, um, I have found, uh, especially now, uh, that I refer to the Bible a lot more than I used to. Um, I think for advice, um, as well as just trying to find um, some uh, resilience um, and some faith, because um, I feel that I sometimes, I know at the beginning of um, lockdown, when we were in March, I felt very isolated. I felt just very lonely. Um, and that, I found that really difficult, um, but it was, refer when I referred, there was, a, there was a day I just was like, I just need, I just need to find something that's going to give me some strength um, and some courage. And there's a verse in John, which, um, yeah, was very comforting during this time. And I've referred back to it a lot and I think about it a lot. Um, so it's from John chapter 14, verse 27. And it says, I leave you peace. My peace I give to you. I give it to you not as the world does, so that your hearts will be troubled, will not be troubled or afraid. And I I really take that and I, I really I find that really helpful because he in this in this passage, I feel that Jesus is saying to me. I'm giving you this peace so that you can be at one with yourself during this time. And I'm giving you this so that you can know that you're not just going through this alone. And there are so many other people in this world who are so troubled right now. And it's just a really scary place for a lot of people, but it's going to be okay. Um, and I feel that like, especially where it says, um, I give you peace, but not in the way the world does that yeah it's it's nice to know that um he's always there and like I think not necessarily in the world in the way that um I used to perceive it like I used to think oh well I'd have to pray and you know that'll that's that'll be how I'll get my advice and that'll be how I know where to go from here but now I feel a lot more like no, no, it's like little things. I can, like, for example, I've just started a new university course and I feel that, like, there's little signs every day that this is the right thing and I'm doing the right thing and I'm on the right path. And that's really comforting. And I think for a lot of people, that verse would be really comforting. Um, so, yeah, I think that is how it shapes my life. I just, yeah. Um I'll pass on to Tasmina. Thank you, Jay. Tasmina, um, I think it was you that mentioned this and Joe earlier. Um, someone's messaged in saying the most important text to them is treat others as you would be treated. The golden rule, which is common to many of the world's faiths. 
So keep sharing, people who are watching. Tell us your your uh, what's your most important text to you. Where are you finding God at the moment, as Joe has been uh, speaking to us about? <clears throat> and don't forget to send in your comments and questions as well. Tasnima, same question to you then, please. How does your faith shape your daily life? So um, generally, the way that my faith shapes my daily life is, uh, personally, I feel like it shapes everything I do from, you know, just um, waking up in the morning, the prayers that we recite, um, to kind of thank God for allowing, for, for giving us another day to live. And um, even um, when it comes to the prayers, generally, the, um, we have five daily prayers and they the first one starts at dawn and then, um, you know, we end the day then with prayer. Um, so, um, and also uh, in addition to other things like, you know, eating, for example, prior to, I, I know this is the same with all of, a lot of religions where, you know, you'd make a prayer before, before eating um so it, it just kind of shows how um regardless of whatever we're doing we're, we're always reminding ourselves of of god and um also kind of being grateful at the same time um but personally for me um another way in which um my religion shapes my daily life is when i when i just generally go outside um you know living in this country i am reminded um that i am a muslim because of the way that i'm dressed and I, i'm proud of that um when i when i go outside i um i know that i i do look different by the way that i'm dressed but um but i know that this is this is something that um allows me to feel closer to god and um, when it came to COVID, of course, it meant that we're, you know, we're more kind of isolated and um, not leaving the house as much. And in addition to the place of worship being closed, that did obviously make a huge impact. Um, and it made it more difficult because when it comes to the five daily prayers, usually, um, you know, especially the men, they would attend the mosque for, for each prayer. Um, so and generally for each prayer, it allowed people to kind of integrate and, um, you know, the, the brotherhood with the Muslims at the mosque um, is kind of increased. But then um, when this all happened, it was it was a shock, especially when it came to the celebration of Eid, um, where usually hundreds of people come to the mosques in the morning for the prayer. But this time, uh, you know, the mosque were closed and it all kind of happened online. So it did make um, a lot of people feel kind of alone. Um, but at the same time, kind of linking to what Joe and Isabel had said about um, starting off as a, a period of feeling lonely, but then gradually realising that we then feel closer to our religion because we're closer to our scriptures, we're closer to the books that we have been given. And this uh, this is what also happened to me. I was reading more um, from the Quran and the, the translations and understanding more from the passages. And um, there was one specific passage that I really felt like I resonated on top of with on top of the story of J uh, Joseph, um, which was um, a, a chapter which was revealed at the time of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, where he had he had experienced a lot of hardship at the time. He his wife had passed away, his uncle as well. Um, I think they had lost a battle at the time, and it was a very very difficult period. And at the same time, he he hadn't received any revelation um, from God um, at all for for a long time, and he felt very very alone and isolated. He felt like um you know he just didn't know what to do with himself at that time and then after six months six months of waiting usually he was used to this um used to um receiving revelation quite regularly but at the time there was this huge break of revelation and then after six months um this chapter then was revealed which is sort of the her and um within this chapter it speaks about how um the, the prophet muhammad peace be upon him he was an orphan but at the same time, um, you know, God had given him prophethood and the, the revelation. And at the same time, um, he had blessed him with so many other blessings. And um, he assures him at the end of the verse by saying that surely God will give to you um, in a way that you shall be pleased. And this very this resonated with me because um, it reminded me that no matter how long we feel like this hardship will continue and it just feels like it won't end um there will be a light at the end of the tunnel and we shall be we will be pleased by what god gives to us thank you thank you i want to give you opportunity before i share some questions that are coming in i want to give you opportunity for you to come back to each other as well 
as part of the conversation. So <clears throat> would any would any of you like the opportunity at this point to come back to each other on anything that you've said, any patterns you're noticing or questions you may have for each other? Please don't feel you have to. <laughs> but the opportunity is there. I think it's really interesting how all three faiths, um, I didn't realise how similar Islam was to Christianity. Like, Arnie, uh, like a lot of monotheistic faiths, well, the monotheistic faiths, are, I've noticed are very similar anyway. But the more you're talking about it, the more I realise actually it's very similar. Um, and... Yeah, I, like, especially in the first question, you educated me so much. Like, there was so much I didn't realise and so much I didn't know. And now I just feel like, tell me more. Um, and with you too, Isabel, like, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, with Judaism, obviously, because it's the Old Testament, I, like, there are a lot of things that I can take from that and I can understand a lot about but at the same time there are so many traditions that are so different to what I grew up with um, and I just wish there was more time where I could ask so many questions obviously we don't have that time so but yeah just thank you both for all the things you've brought so far. Do feel free to ask each other questions that's part of this evening. <clears throat> okay there's a question that's come in here and do keep sending your comments and questions in. We're probably going to take the programme to eight o'clock tonight. So, because there's so much uh, to be said. <clears throat> so the question is, is there anything in your faith that you struggle with? So I don't think we're talking about COVID necessarily there and um, the impact of that on all of our faith and the way it works out <clears throat> daily. I'm just, giving, I'm just waffling to give you time to think. <laughs> and, and obviously, please don't feel you have to, to comment on any of these questions. So is there anything in your faith that you struggle with? Would anybody like to come back at that one? Well, I, mean, I mean, there's obviously a lot of things, right? But uh, just to... I think the more general things like, you know, see Odyssey, we've already gone a bit into that. We don't really have to discuss that. But uh, practically speaking, I think one thing that's um, always a bit of a point of contention nowadays in, in Judaism too, and it's kind of the, the question of um, the, how, how can I say this in a sort of, the, the separate uh, rules for genders uh, when it comes to services. And because um, it's, uh, it actually, like it's not as it's not as clear cut, right? Like for example, I know I I, I know friends who just feel very strongly that uh, everything should be egalitarian, and of course, kind of rationally, I'm inclined to agree with that because it it does make sense to think that um, sort of an individual shouldn't. For example, we have a rule that like you know to have a minyan to like uh, to have a quorum of uh, enough people to do certain rituals um the tradition is that it has to be 10 men right and so nowadays of course there's movement to say or many communities would say it should also include women or it does practically um but then there's other issues actually where because of the tradition i grew up in or also just because of i think like the um, spaces that you feel comfortable in that you're used in i've also noticed and actually i've found it um sometimes a bit uh, strange actually when um, in, in this country I would go to, um, for example, a service that does have full egalitarian um, because then you also sit together and all, and it's just a different atmosphere, right? So actually I'm, I'm struggling personally in the sense that I'm not quite sure myself whether I find it uh, a problem to have these separate roles or whether I'm actually comfortable with it. But if I'm comfortable with it, how can I square this with uh, my sort of secular ideals, which of course include equality for men and women. So it's, that's always a bit of a question, whether you can have equality without um, equity. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, I think that's an issue for many communities and, and something I'm personally, I don't know how I actually feel about. Definitely, thank you. Jill Tasnima, is there anything you struggle with from your faith? 
Um, uh, yeah, so there's quite a few things I struggle with. Um, now, I don't know whether that's because I'm not a strict Christian by any means. Like, um, I think there are certain things that we need to follow. But I also think that some of the things that are written in the Bible, a lot of them have to do with culture and the time. Um, and in the modern day, I don't know whether or not I agree with it, but I understand it. And I take that as scripture. Um, so like, for example, um, divorce. And it's in it, it says that divorce is a bad thing and it shouldn't happen. But I think that divorce is something that we should allow and in, in certain situations it might be needed. There's another thing in the Bible it says that if a woman commits adultery she should be stoned to death. However, if a man commits adultery he doesn't get that type of punishment and there's a lot of sexism within it which um, I would consider myself to be quite a, uh, yeah I'm quite a Pro prominent feminist I would like to say I understand a lot and I really agree with a lot of those things and I try and fight for that um so within that I find that really difficult to get on board with there's other things like I I think um sex before marriage I think that's okay um there's nothing wrong with it um and it's up to that person it it shouldn't be something which if you believe that sex should be saved for marriage and that's perfectly fine it's up to you I think that it's one of these things which should be taken with yeah taken with your own personal ideas um I think that there are a lot there's a lot of pressure especially within the Christian community I have friends who are Catholic and really struggle with that because they um well they're chast which is I'm like that's fantastic that's so great um but they really struggle with it because their friends find that really difficult they're like well I don't understand I don't understand why it's just well it's just sex and to a lot of people well no it's not just that it's so much more so I think there's a lot of things I struggle with um because I think some of the things are outdated but like I say that's culture and it's a lot of it is to do with the time that it was written in. And I think there are a lot of things we have to take that we have to take that into consideration. Like my example is always in the Bible, it says you should never wear things made of two materials. Um, so by that instance, we should never wear poly cotton socks, um, which, you know, it, it yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll just pass it on now. I don't know if uh, Tasnina has any more that she'd like to say. Uh, mine are more kind of specific to certain rulings um, in uh, in Islam, like uh, certain things that we carry out. So, um, so not necessarily related to um, certain ideas. Um, it's more kind of, for example, um, the rule of fasting during the month of Ramadan. Um, that is a struggle for a lot of Muslims, but at the same time, it teaches us to kind of strive and work hard to, to please God. So um, so we kind of learn um, out of this, um, the, the kind of extent of our faith and um, how, how we can kind of, how we can kind of um, prevent ourselves from desires um, for, you know, for a certain amount of time. Um, just just out of the pleasure to, to gain the pleasure of God. So certain specific rules like this, or even um, or even when when I because I I don't live in an area and even currently in Exeter um, where there are many Muslims. So um, when I, I do leave the house, I do feel I feel I don't feel like it's necessarily a huge struggle, but um, the way that I'm dressed, um, it does it does cause a bit of attention, and sometimes it is it is a little hard. Um, to get used to when you feel like other people fear you, um, which I, I try my best to not appear, um, you know, as a threat to anyone or to, to allow anyone to fear me um, and try to tackle that through things like smiling or, you know, which is harder to do now with COVID. Um, but um, generally to try to kind of tackle the kind of negative perception that people might have because of what they might have seen on the media about 
Muslims. This is once something that I want to kind of work on and try to improve improve this situation. Which is exactly one of the aims of Interfaith Week, isn't it? Readdressing these misconceptions, misunderstandings, ignorance. Someone writes in saying, I think you've all touched on this. It is important to remember how all of us have been affected by COVID. At the moment, there seems to be a big focus in the UK media about trying to get back to normal in time for Christmas. And it's easy to forget how people of other faiths have also been affected, such as Eid, Rosh Hashanah, or the current Diwali celebrations. So I think we've all commented around that this evening. Is there anything else you'd like to say to each other? Is there any patterns you've recognised in each other's uh, faiths? Um, is there any threads that you think, oh, I, I recognise that. We would, we would say something similar. That you would like to come back to each other on. <clears throat> I'd just like to reiterate what Joe had said about how um, this is something that I didn't realise, but how similar, you know, our three religions really are. And um, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to to really hear from from the two, well, the three of you um, about this, because there's just so much that I didn't learn, know of, um, you know, from the other religions. And it really wants, it, it makes me want to, to definitely research and learn more. It's a shame we've got such a short time, actually. I wonder if uh, the people watching... We, we often ask people watching and listening to send in ideas for future programmes. And I, I, I've got a feeling we'll be hearing a lot of people saying, please don't let this be a one-off because of Interfaith Week. You know, we've started something, haven't we? And let's, we could continue this, perhaps take a topic and have the three uh, perspectives come and discuss it. Um, it is always surprising to, to find that we have more in common, it seems, than we have not in common. Isabel or Joe, I want to give you the opportunity as well to come back if you would like to uh, on anything that's been said this evening. I mean, I can only agree really that ultimately I think it's, uh, I don't know, personally, personally, I actually think it's, uh, it's not even necessary really to think of um, different religions as sort of absolute uh, concepts that are different from each other. There are sort of traditions that try to approach um, the same questions and come from the same roots even in, in our cases and the cases of the Abrahamic roots so it's um, actually like the, the idea of monolithic concepts that are even easily distinguishable from each other isn't, isn't even valid so I, I don't even really see it as sort of interfaith I see it more as like intra-faith it's, it's all faith and, and we're just discussing within it Someone's already um, commenting that they too would love to have further intra-faith discussions. Um, jo, opportunity before I move on to the final question. Um, I don't really have anything else I'd like to say. <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot, Jo. Let, let, let me pose a question. Um, so I'm aware of time. We have about eight minutes left. Um, but I, I, did, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to ask that third question. I think we might have evidenced it, but if you could briefly all have a, have a go answering, um, why do you think that interfaith conversations or intrafaith conversations uh, are so important? Uh, let's go to uh, Joe, then Isabel, then Tasnima. Okay. Um, so... I think, um, so I attend a, a festival called Greenbelt, which is an incredible festival. Um, people who know me will know that I constantly go on about it, go on about how incredible it is. It's an activism festival. Um, and it, it's, it, it is, it's a bunch of Christian festival, but um, I know a lot of people who go there don't see it as a Christian festival as people from all faiths who attend because of the good things that they do and um, the activism that they, they talk about. And the people who are there are there talking about such incredible things. And I think interfaith conversations as a whole are so, so, so important, especially in this modern day. And I think 
there are so many people who are so ignorant to actually learning about what it what it means to be a Muslim or someone who's Jewish or a Christian. I think mean, I think there was um, when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening. I found it really hurtful because there was a lot of people who were posting things talking about Christians, saying how how um, homophobic we all were or how we were all white supremacists. Um, and I found that really hurtful. And I remember a lot of times like just going on rants because I was like, we're not all like that. It's such a small minority. And I wish people weren't so ignorant in um, not, not understanding what it means to be a Christian and like the key concepts of being a Christian that we all love each other and that we want to treat treat other people as we, we, we would expect to be treated and the majority of people in all of, the, all of these faiths aren't like that at all <laughs> and I find that so difficult um, but I try to respond with love and I try to respond by educating people and saying well that's not actually the case um, but maybe here's some resources that you can look at that point this this and this is really what, what it's really like and I, I imagine for you Tasmina it must be so difficult because I think especially in Britain I think I can say as someone who's not really from a very multicultural area and from a very white area that very white very working class very labor that um a lot of people they see someone who is Muslim and they automatically think of the worst. And I can imagine for you, that must be so, so hard. I think that, that these conversations kind of take that away and kind of educate more people. Um, but yeah, I think they're just so, so, so important. And yeah, like, like, like Ruth said, I don't think we should just pass up the opportunity to have another conversation. Um, yeah, I'll pass on to Isabel. Right, I think for me, what I noticed most over the past year of, of uh, so we've been we've been running an, a weekly um, before COVID, we've been running a weekly um, scriptural reasoning interfaith group um, here in Oxford. Now we are doing it on Zoom. It's not quite the same on Zoom, exactly, but it was very inspiring. And actually, what I realized most is that I, in the end, I felt like I had learned more about sort of my own tradition than even about the uh, Islamic and, and Christian one, because it's only when you're, when you're sort of challenged and, and have to explain things that to you seem maybe obvious or maybe just self-evident, and then you have to explain them to others, you, you suddenly start questioning them yourself, and you start realizing mm, that's why, and then maybe you do some research and you, you understand them better in context. So actually, I think that's the, that's the best thing for me, but interfaith conversation is, is also rediscovering your own tradition from a different perspective. Forgive me if I'm putting you on the spot, Isabel, but is is that um is that a, a a public? Could people access that conversation, or is it a closed event? No, it's a we 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 keep it less a sort of internal thing because it's it's. It, I mean, it was it was a private meeting before, and now it's uh, we just moved on Zoom, but we're hoping to go back to in person. Fabulous. But, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We'd like to. So it's it's an Oxford area. Like if you're in the Oxford area, you're you're more than welcome to look us up Oxford Scriptural Reasoning. Oh, great. Thank you. We could put some links if you would like. Sure, sure. Uh, Tasnima. Uh, yeah, thank you uh, for that, Joe. Um, when you touched upon um, this kind of perception that a lot of people have uh, of Muslims, which unfortunately we, we do struggle with at the moment. Um, but I feel like conversations like what we're having now really make a huge difference. Uh, I used to take part in this kind of open day that we used to do um, at the local mosque, but we've had to put a pause on for now because of COVID. But um, it was just this kind of invitation to, to anyone really um, in the local community who wanted to know more about Islam. Um, they'd come to the mosque and um, they can ask, you know, any questions that they'd like. And we'd try to, to just, um, you know, kind of tell them as much as we knew. Um, and it really made a huge difference because there were many people who, um, you know, all that they had heard of, of Islam was, you know, whatever was reported in the media. And of course, um, whenever you search the word Islam um, up on, on Google or any kind of media websites, um, there will be a lot of negative things that appear. Um, and this is definitely something that, you know, it, it, it will take a bit of a while, but, you know, 
it is successful in terms of the interfaith sessions that we're having because it's allowing people to really see um you know that we aren't we aren't a threat um that there are a lot of similarities between you know all all religions um and definitely these kind of interfaith conversations it allows um you know generally for, for Muslims and people of other faith to reduce feelings of isolation, because especially when you grow up in an area where there aren't many Muslims, um, it, it's very difficult because um, it makes you feel quite alone sometimes because um, I, I did feel like I was treated um, as if, um, you know, I was very different, uh, especially when it came to situations where, you know, they'd be, for example, terrorist attacks um, in certain areas. It, may, it makes you feel like, um, you know, that you are a threat to other people and, um, you know, they, they just don't want to speak to you. Um, that's why I feel like this is so important because it challenges the media bias of Muslims and then um, will then lead to reduction of marginalization of, um, you know, of certain groups just because of their religious backgrounds. And then hopefully this will then be beneficial for future generations because, um, you know, once we kind of educate more people uh, about the reality of our religions, um, it will allow the future generations to not have to struggle as much as, as we did. There's a hope. There's a hope to finish on. Um, I need to tell people watching that the World Council of Churches is actually holding an essay competition <laughs> uh, for young people on the theme of the future of interreligious dialogue. <clears throat> and the closing date isn't till January, so plenty of time if people want to join in. We will put the information uh, about that on, on all the links, uh, on all the usual places. So if, you, if this has inspired you to perhaps put pen on paper and uh, wrestle with it in that way, then we encourage you to get involved in the conversation. Next week's uh, fortnightly programme now, so next fortnight's programme is going to be on Israel and Palestine and will be hosted by Tom Hackett and the panelists are all young people who went on last year's trip to Israel and Palestine. We have Katie Henderson, Carissa King and Diana Paulding all confirmed so do tune in for that one. Um, so thank you, <clears throat> our time has gone, I said it would go quick didn't I, <laughs> over another hour. Uh, so thank you Tasnima, Joe, Isabel, thank you for this evening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your time. And thank you for your generosity this evening in sharing something of yourselves as well as your faith with us. It really has been beneficial and just so brilliant to be part of. Thank you. And to the people watching and listening, we thank you for joining us and taking the time to, to think about these things and to perhaps be changed a little in our attitudes. We hope it's been helpful to you. And um, remember, if you've got any suggestions for things that you would like us to tackle, then do get in touch, perhaps with your, your children youth development officer in your synod or an email or put it on the Facebook post. Any way you can, just communicate and uh, we will do our best to, to honour. This is your programme and we want to give you what you would like. So to finish, I've invited our panellists, if they would like to, to <clears throat> leave us all with a blessing from their own faith. So how would we like to do this? Um, jo, do you, would you like to go first and then Isabella and then Tasnima? Um, uh, I'd like to say the grace, if that's okay. Um, uh, Ruth, if you'd maybe like to join me. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore Amen. thank you Jay. isabel sorry isabel you're just muted still my friend <laughs> thank you i'd just like to briefly recall the memory of uh, rebel lord jonathan Sachs, who passed away this week and to who whose memory will um, continue to be a blessing and an inspiration to so many of us and i I'd encourage anyone among the listeners who isn't familiar with his books to um, try and, and, and go and search that font of wisdom. And, and that's, um, that is usually the, the, the main, um, the, the chief uh, consolation we, we seek in, in Judaism when 
someone passes away that their memory is with us and that it shall continue to be a blessing just as they were in life. Yeah, I, I, I follow Jonathan Sachs and uh, was absolutely gutted to hear last week that he passed on. So our thoughts are with you as well at this time, Isabel. Tasnima. I just wanted to share um, a very short chapter that we usually read from the Quran at the end of a religious gathering. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر and the English translation of that is by the passage of time, surely humanity is in great loss except those who have believed and done righteous deeds and advised each other to truth and advised each other to patience. May God keep us all and our loved ones safe and healthy and grant us success in this life and the hereafter. Thank you. Thank you again, all three of you. It's been an absolute pleasure to spend some time with you and I hope it's not the last time that we're together. So for now, for this evening, apologies for going over five minutes but it was worth it. So for now, goodbye, God bless.